The mark of the beast. Is it a chip? A vaccine? Maybe a number, like 666? A church system? Will it result in persecution? Does Bible prophecy alert us that we need the seal of God in order to be saved? You will want to know these Bible answers. My name is Cami Utman, and this is Unlocking Bible Prophecies. Chaos is increasing worldwide. There were reports of an active shooter. Divides on politics and a worldwide pandemic are sweeping our globe. It feels like the end of the world. Are we headed into a new world order? What will happen next? Join international speaker Cami Utman on a journey to unlock Bible truth and uncover key answers to your Bible questions. In Cami's travels around the world, she has documented incredible miracles while facing life and death situations. Join us for Unlocking Bible Prophecies 2.0, which will demonstrate how God has given us guidelines to successfully navigate through what lies ahead. Together, we will see how Bible prophecy is being fulfilled faster than ever before and how we can have hope for the future. Welcome back for another episode of Unlocking Bible Prophecies. Now, if today is your first time watching, you can go to awr.org slash Bible and watch all previous episodes. Yesterday's topic is one of my favorites. It is so comforting to me to know that the God of love is doing everything He can to save us. Today, we turn our attention to a topic that even draws a response from those who do not believe in the Bible. It has been popularized by Hollywood and is greatly misunderstood. The Mark of the Beast is a serious topic that deserves in-depth study. You will want to stay with me, friends. Let's pray and move into our topic, The Mark. Heavenly Father, Lord, empty me of self, fill me with your Holy Spirit. May it only be your words that I speak here today as your vessel. And Lord, grant us clear understanding of this topic, the mark of the beast. It is so important for us to know, Lord. Um, and open our hearts to you so we fall deeper in love with you today. Even with this serious truth, Lord, we see your love. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I want to tell you about Michael, who lived in the northern part of Tanzania. He has a beautiful wife and family, and he grows vegetables to sell. As a teenager, he was a Christian, but as the years went by, he slowly forgot about God. Michael settled down, married, and started growing vegetables for sale. He took pride in his lush garden and always kept it neat. Then something happened that would disrupt their peaceful, happy lives and ruin Michael's crops. He started having a terrible problem with wild pigs, destroying his plants and eating his vegetables. In order to protect the crops, he began staying up all night to keep watch. One evening, as he kindled a fire and prepared for another long night, Michael switched on his radio. The station playing was new to him, but the message sounded strangely familiar. It had been so many years since he had heard anything about Jesus. It was all such a distant memory. The night went more quickly this time. When morning broke, the radio was still playing the station, which he would later learn was Adventist World Radio. The second night, Michael again turned his radio to AWR, 
and this time invited five of his neighbors to join in and listen with him. The third night, a message of faith was presented on the radio. His heart was so touched, and he said to his friends, There is a God big enough to protect our crops. Why are we staying up all night? Michael decided he would give God another chance. In an effort to test and see if God was real, Michael remained home that night instead of going out and watching over his crops. He gathered his family to listen to AWR and pray for God's protection. The next morning, Michael dashed outside to survey his crops. Amazingly, there was no damage. He was so excited and ran back to share the good news with his family. For the first time in his life, he realized that God is real and cares for him. Night after night, Michael returned home, listened to his radio, and again prayed for protection before peacefully sleeping. His neighbors began to ask questions. They had watched as the pigs passed by his fields only to eat their surrounding crops. They felt sure this must be witchcraft. Michael gladly explained about the radio and about God who would even protect vegetables from pigs. Several of his neighbors decided to test God too and listen to AWR at home instead of going out to guard the crops at night. The pigs no longer bothered their vegetables either. Before long, Michael, his family, and 30 other people from his village gathered to give their lives to Jesus through baptism. With a smile, Michael shared, We are so thankful for AWR, because if we had not heard this broadcast, we would still be out in the dark, guarding our crops from pigs, and would have missed hearing about Jesus. Three years later, Michael, Michael's gardens continue to grow, and the wild pigs have never returned. Michael loves to tell everyone about God and, ha and has now become a missionary. His love for Jesus has been rekindled, and he has a passion born from a personal experience of faith and trust. All of this is a simple result of a radio broadcast and a God big enough to answer prayer. This story is an excellent demonstration of a man putting full faith in God's care. We need to start practicing putting our trust in the little things of life so that when the big issues come up, we have built up our courage and faith to take a firm stand for God, no matter the earthly consequences. God's plan is the best. In the overall picture and in the tiny little details, His way makes sense. It is of ultimate justice. So when we look at how this world ends, we can put our trust in how God does things because His way of doing things is rooted in love. It is my sincere desire tonight to lay the clear word of God before you. I believe you are here with me because you are seeking the truth. You must decide for yourself what is truth and what is error. If you find anything contrary to the Word of God, you need to reject it. But if you desire to seek for truth as for hidden treasure, accept that truth as it is revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Friends, it is so important for you and me to know what to expect and what to avoid. It matters because when the Bible warns that something is going to happen, we can believe it does. 
exactly as it says, right on time. We've been together now for nine presentations and have already seen how God keeps His every word. He alerts us with prophecy, not to paralyze us with fear, but to equip us with knowledge resulting in courage. God's truth is never sent to embarrass anyone. It is always sent to enlighten. My focus tonight, and always, is to not make you fearful, but faithful. True Christians are never against people, but they must be against false systems which enslave people. The devil's purpose is to counterfeit truth, and everything God gives for the good of man, the devil gives for your destruction. That's why you are given a choice. Revelation 1-3 Blessed is he who reads this book, hears this prophecy, and keeps those things written, for the time is at hand. Will you put your trust in the popular traditions of men, or will you give God the final word on tonight's incredibly important topic? Remember, the theme of our series is, If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, it's not for me. The most fearful, awesome, and shocking language in all of the book of Revelation is used to describe the mark of the beast. Let's read how God describes the punishment for those who receive the mark. Revelation 14, 9-11 Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest or day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. We will soon identify the characteristics of the mark of the beast, but before we do, it is important to know that any person who receives the mark of the beast is forever lost. Prophecy states that vast majority of people on this earth will choose to receive the mark of the beast. God teaches in Revelation that all people on the earth are rapidly dividing into two groups. One group will be following the God of heaven and will receive the seal or mark of God. The other group will be following Satan, who is represented by the beast, and they will receive his mark. Tragically, unless a person knows for certain what the mark of the beast is, he will no doubt end up with that mark. We need to be positive that we can identify the mark of the beast in God's word. Remember, we studied how God's fourth commandment is his seal. We learned that a seal has three components, God's name, his title or office as our creator, and his territory or dominion over heaven and earth. God provided for his people a sign, a seal or mark of his creating, redeeming power. The seventh day commandment found in Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11 says, remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. We are to observe the Sabbath throughout our generations as a perpetual, meaning ongoing, covenant with God. It is a sign between God and His redeemed people forever. Ezekiel 20 verse 12 says, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them.
In order to identify the mark, we must first identify the beast. In prophecy, what does a beast represent? Daniel 7 verse 23 says, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. Beasts in prophecy represent kingdoms, governments of earthly ruling organizations. The term does not denote disrespect. It does not mean beastly characteristics. The description of each beast is a description of the government involved. According to Revelation 13 verse 1, this beast, with a mark, comes up out of the sea. What does water represent in prophecy? Revelation 13 1. Then stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Revelation 17.15 Then he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So scripture interprets itself. We see that the waters are people and multitudes and nations and tongues. Water and prophecy represents a very populated area, masses of people. In Revelation 13, notice that this beast, which has a mark that I must not receive, has eight pronounced characteristics. So we will look at these eight characteristics from the book of Revelation. There is only one entity that has all eight in all of history. There's only one. And I'd like to pause right here. Before we continue, it is important for me personally to tell you that we will be addressing a heavy, sensitive subject tonight. I will be quoting from different historical documents that are not intended to accuse individuals, but to show prophecy fulfilling. God has his children in every culture, sect, and belief system. When they hear his voice, his truth, they do not hesitate to follow him, even if it means leaving their traditions. The information quoted here is directed only towards a system that has a number of doctrines which we will see clearly go against scripture. Characteristic number one. The beast would receive its power, seat, and authority. Revelation 13.2 Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Scripture describes Satan as the dragon. Revelation 12.4 his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child, Jesus, as soon as it was born. The dragon primarily represents Satan, but also symbolizes pagan Rome, a nation that Satan worked through. And we know this because in Matthew 2, verse 16, we see that Satan used King Herod, a Roman ruler, to try to destroy Jesus by killing all the babies of Bethlehem. History is clear that Papal Rome, meaning the Roman Catholic Church or papacy, received its power, authority, and the capital city from old pagan Rome, the ancient political government. 
Quoting historian Carl Eckhart, the papacy and world affairs states, quoted, quoting, when the Roman Empire had disintegrated and its place had been taken by a number of rude, barbarous kingdoms, the Roman Catholic Church not only became independent of the state in religious affairs, but dominated secular affairs as well. Quoting Adolf Harnack, what is Christianity? The Roman Church pushed itself into the place of the Roman world empire, of which it is the actual continuation. The Pope is Caesar's successor. Let's look at characteristic number two. The beast would become a worldwide power. Revelation 13, verses 3 and 7. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. None would dispute that during the Middle Ages, the papacy was indeed a worldwide power. Once again, the papacy fits the identification. Pope Gregory VII proclaimed the perfection of the Roman Catholic Church declaring that the church had never erred, nor would it ever err, according to the scriptures. The proud pontiff next claimed the power to dethrone emperors and declared that no sentence which he pronounced could be reversed by anyone, but that it was his prerogative to reverse the decisions of all others. Characteristic number three. The beast would rule for 42 months. Revelation 13, 5. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. The time of the papacy's rule is repeatedly referred to in prophecy as 1260 days, which is the same thing when you say 42 months, or it's the same thing when you say three and a half years. They all equal the same amount of 1260 literal years. You see, in prophecy, one day equals one year. So then, one week, equaling seven days, would equal seven years. We see this in Ezekiel 4, 6. God says, I have appointed thee each day for a year. Numbers fourteen thirty four. After the number of the days in which he searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years. History shows that the papacy persecuted the saints for 1260 years. The legally recognized supremacy of the Pope began in 538 AD, when Emperor Justinian elevated himself to the Bishop of Rome, to the position of head of all churches. This is known as the Edict of Justinian. The year 538 AD became the turning point in the history of the Roman Empire when Justinian declared himself to be a theologian from this year and no longer a soldier. He crossed the barrier of his mandate from the pagan Roman Empire to the Holy Roman Empire. Adding exactly 1260 years to 538 AD, brings us to the year 1798, which is the year the Pope was dethroned when the French general Berthier, under Napoleon, led him into captivity. 
About 18 months later, the Pope died in exile in France. This act ended papal power in terms of enforcing papal decrees, just as prophecy predicted. Characteristic number four. The beast would be guilty of blasphemy. Revelation 13, 5, and 6, And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. The Holy Bible defines blasphemy as claiming to be God, as shown in John ten thirty three. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. And blasphemy also claims the power to forgive sins, as shown in Luke five twenty one. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So does the next statement qualify as blasphemy? Quoting from Ferrara's Ecclesiastical Dictionary. The Pope is of so great dignity and so exalted that he is not a mere man, but as it were God, the divine monarch and supreme emperor, king of kings, so that if it were possible that angels might err in the faith, they could be judged and excommunicated by the Pope. Quoting from Christopher Marcellus, Oration in the Fifth Lateran Council, Thou art another God on earth. Quoting from the Catholic National, The Pope is not only the representative of Jesus Christ, but that he is Jesus Christ himself, hidden under the veil of flesh. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4 Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Let's quote from the Catechism of the Catholic Religion, New York, in 1929. Question. Does a priest truly forgive the sins, or does he only declare that they are remitted? Answer. The priest does really and truly forgive the sins in virtue of the power given him by Jesus Christ. Quoting St. Alphonsus Liguori, The Dignities and Duties of the Priest. The priest has the power of the keys, or the power of delivering sinners from hell, of making them worthy of paradise, and God himself is obliged to abide by the judgment of priests. The priest may in a certain manner be called the creator of his creator. Let the priest, says St. Lawrence Justinian, approach the altar as another Christ. Characteristic number five. The beast would receive a deadly wound, which would heal, then the entire world would follow him. Revelation 13.3 And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. That wondered is with an O and not with an A. They do not physically walk or wander after the beast. This is a cognitive function, 
They wondered after the beast so that they had the same mindset as the beast. They choose to unite with the beast power. The papacy was dealt what appeared to be a death blow when, in 1798, Berthier took the Pope captive and he died in exile. Half of Europe thought that the papacy had ended with this event. However, God was on record that the wound would be healed and the influence of the papacy would grow till all the world followed her lead. Pope Francis has expressed an intense desire for unity with the Eastern Orthodox, the Anglicans, and many other major Protestant denominations. He began this initiative with this, the memorable live video chat with Kenneth Copeland and his congregation. The Catholic and charismatic renewal is the hope of the Church, exclaimed Anglican Episcopal Bishop Tony Palmer. My wife saw that she could be a Catholic and a charismatic, and an evangelical, and Pentecostal, and it was absolutely accepted in the Catholic Church. The crowd cheered. The chasm between Catholicism and Protestantism is rapidly closing. However, while Rome itself has not changed, many Protestant churches have and are compromising their foundational beliefs to resemble Rome and are no longer protesting against their man-made traditions. The papacy's influence and power steadily increases. Over the past century, the number of Catholics around the globe has more than tripled to nearly 1.3 billion, according to the census of the 2019 Pontifical Yearbook. The world looks to the Pope today as the only hope for global unity, love, peace, and decency, precisely as God predicted. Characteristic number six. The beast would have the mystical number 666. Revelation 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So the Bible clearly states that 666 is the number of a man. Modern interpretations of this prophecy incorrectly apply the 666 to various technologies, but we don't have to waste our time wondering which one, because the Bible states it is a man. Obviously, technology, barcodes, chips, or whatever else did not persecute the, st- the saints for 1260 years. They did not blaspheme by claiming to be God, and chips do not claim to forgive sins. Instead, these attributes belong to the beast power, the Antichrist. However, before we can call any ant entity, the Antichrist, we must be sure that it fulfills every descriptor that the Bible gives. This text clearly states the number in a man's, but is a man's, but also the beast's. The number 666 applies to the papacy, a kingdom represented by a beast, as shown in the chart of papal titles, and is the number of a man, the supreme ruler of that kingdom bringing it in line with the man of sin, as we earlier read in Second Thessalonians 2, 3. One of the official titles of the Pope, Vicarious Philae Dei, or Vicar of the Son of God, is easily verified in papal canons and other Catholic publications. On a notarized page from 1943, Dr. Johann Quaston of the Catholic University of America said, The title Vicarious Philae Dei, as well as the title Vicarious Christi, is very common as the title 
for the Pope. Quoting our Sunday Visitor, a Jesuit publication, the title of the Pope of Rome is Vicarious Feli Day. This is inscribed on his mitre, and if you take the letters and add them together, they come to 666. Quoting Protestant Dr. Henry Groton, Guinness, in Babylon and the Beast, an English officer of high rank who in 1799 made a special favor while in Rome, got a close look at the Pope's jewels and precious things, discovered thereby that the papal tiara bore this inscription, Vicarious Feli Dei. Many Protestant churches today wish to apply 666 to all of humanity rather than the papacy. But if both Catholics and Protestants agree on the title, and even the Jesuits, the society sworn to protect the Pope at all costs, all confirm it in their own publications. Take the value of the Roman numerals and add them together as shown on the screen. So V equals 5, I equals 1, C equals 100, and so forth. By adding each character, the total is 666. Quoting New Advent Catholic Encyclopedia, Since the 14th century, the Pope's tiara has had three tiers. According to the Vatican, the three layers symbolize the triple power of the Pope, the Father of Kings, the Governor of the World, and Vicar of Christ. Characteristic number seven. The beast would be a religious power. It is involved in worship. Revelation 13, 5 and 8. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The papacy is different from the pagan kingdoms before it, because it is both a political power and a religious power. This power is not a secular government, but it is involved in spiritual matters. The word worship is used four times in Revelation 13 alone, a chapter of warning against false worship. Quoting Pope Pius IX, December 8, 1864, The Catholic religion should be held as the only religion of the people, to the exclusion of all other forms of worship. Characteristic number eight. The beast would war with and persecute the saints. Revelation 13, seven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Protestant Christians were falsely accused of the most dreadful crimes and declared to be the cause of great calamities. They were viciously condemned as rebels against the empire, as foes of religion. Great numbers were thrown to wild beasts or burned alive in the amphitheaters. Their punishment was often made the chief entertainment at public celebrations. Vast multitudes assembled to enjoy the sight and greeted, the, greeted their dying agonies with laughter and applause. Historians D'Aubergine and Wiley say more than a million innocent people were massacred in just one single event. Quoting John Calvin from a letter he wrote to Emperor Charles V, I deny that see to be the vicar of Christ 
who in furiously persecuting the gospel demonstrates by his conduct that he is Antichrist. Quoting W. Lecky, History of the Rise and Influences of the Spirit of Rationalism. The Church of Rome has shed more innocent blood than any other institution that has ever existed among mankind. Quoting John Daniel, The Great Design Exposed. For the unbiased researcher, history reeks of the butchery of Romanism, where whole cities and populations were unmercifully wiped out, just because they worshipped God in a manner that was different from Roman Catholicism. 1 John 2.22 says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. These quoted sources are not an attack on any group of people. It is an attack upon the devil who is responsible for this entire mess. God himself has told us that this system has a mark which we dare not receive. Praise Jesus that he has uncovered in his book of Revelation Satan's deadly plans to destroy us all. Since we have now positively identified the eight characteristics of the beast of Revelation 13 as the papal system, let's permit the papacy to tell us what its mark is. Quoting His Eminence, James Cardinal Gibbons, Ninth Archbishop of Baltimore, who wrote, One day a man picked up Peter Gearman's Converts Catechism of Catholic Doctrine and read on page 50, Question, Which is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. The man was shocked and supposed there must be some mistake, so he wrote a letter to the then-famous James Cardinal Gibbons of Baltimore and asked, if the Catholic Church did indeed change the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, of course. The Catholic Church claims that the change was her act, and the act is a mark of her ecclesiastical power and authority in religious matters. Quoting the Catholic Record of London, Sunday is our mark of authority. The Church is above the Bible. And this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. God's holy Sabbath was never intended to be changed by anyone, friends. We read in Exodus 31, 16, 17, God says to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me, God, and my children, you forever. Ezekiel 20, verse 20 says, Hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Also, in Ezekiel 20, verse 12, God says, Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. Quoting a doctrinal catechism by Stephen Keenan. Question. Have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals of precept? meaning a general rule intended to regulate behavior or thought? Answer. Had she not such power, 
she could not have done that in which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. Friends, we have seen in their own writings that the system of Roman Catholicism claims that it changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. Sunday keeping is its mark of authority and power. This is a battle over time to worship your God, your Creator, your Redeemer. Remember, for every Bible truth, Satan has his counterfeit. God's mark, his sign of power, is the seventh-day Sabbath, Sabbath-keeping. Whereas the beast's mark, sign of power, his sign of power, is first-day Sunday, or Sunday-keeping. It seems incredible, unbeknownst to most, that the papacy claimed to change the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. Did the papacy really substitute Sunday for God's fourth commandment, Sabbath? Or did they only think they changed it? Daniel 7, verse 25. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saint shall be given unto his hand for a time and times and half a time. Daniel 7 is a parallel prophecy to Revelation 13. Other versions, like the King James Version, King James Version says they think to change times and laws. Catholic catechisms show that the papacy has tried to change the law of God. The Ten Commandments have been, have been tampered with. The second commandment, which refers to images and saint idol worship, is absent in Catholic literature. And to make up for the loss of one, the tenth commandment is divided then into two. The fourth commandment, which God talks about his Sabbath, now is shifted and becomes the third commandment in the Catholic Catechism. The day of worship is shifted by papal decree from Saturday to Sunday. The papacy only thought a change had been made. According to God, Sunday is not a holy day. The Sabbath of the Fourth Commandment is still binding, friends. John A. O'Brien writes in this book, Faith of Millions, The Credentials of the Catholic Religion, quote, But since Saturday, not Sunday, is specified in the Bible, isn't it curious that non-Catholics who profess to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the Church observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Yes, of course, it is inconsistent. But this change was made about 15 centuries before Protestantism was born. And by the time the custom was universally observed, they have continued the custom, even though it rests upon the authority of the Catholic Church and not upon an explicit text in the Bible. That observance remains as a reminder of the Mother Church from which the non-Catholic sects broke away, like a boy running away from home but still carrying in his pocket a picture of his mother or lock of her hair. You know, friends, God hurts when religious leaders are selective with only nine commandments and cause people to stumble over his Sabbath command. What was God's criticism of his ancient priests or pastors? 
Malachi 2, 7-9 You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have not kept my ways, but have been partial in my law. God said that the religious leaders in Ezekiel's day were not following his ways and making a mockery of his laws. In Ezekiel 22, 26, 27 says, Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath, so that I am profaned among them. This is still happening today. Many religious leaders say, there's no difference between Sabbath and Sunday, or Any day will do if you are sincere. Friends, God still says in Ezekiel 22, 8, You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. The Lord will pour out his wrath on those who say, like in Ezekiel 22, 28, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken it at all. God will not ignore or forget these additions or subtractions to his words. It is serious to claim that our ideas are his. We should never put words in his mouth or discredit what he has said. Scripture warns us that religious activity is quite useless if we are not doing the will of God. Christ declared that calling on God's name and even leading out in great selfless humanitarian programs will be wasted if obedience to God's will is not followed. Scripture states that obedience is the true test of a valid religion or genuine follower of Christ. Those who engage ever so fully in the preaching of the name of Jesus and do not keep his commandments cannot meet the approval of God. Those who uphold sola scriptura, the Bible, and the Bible alone as the supreme authority do meet the approval of God. Now let's clarify what it means to be a Protestant or protestant. To protest against, to deny, to reject the universal authority of the Pope, papacy, Roman Catholic Church, or papal system. To affirm the Reformation principles that thousands of reformers died for, You see, original Protestantism believed in Sola Scriptura and protested against the false religious beliefs of the papacy. Protestants asked the Pope, how could you change God's holy law? Quoting St. Catherine Catholic Church, May 21, 1995, quote, Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the Church ever did happened in the first century. The Holy Day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday. The day of the Lord, Dies Dominica, was chosen, not from any directions noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. The day of resurrection, the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, came on the first day of the week. So, this would be the new Sabbath. People who think that the scriptures should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. End quote. So where is the mark of the beast placed on a person? 
God tells us in Revelation 13, 16, He caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. The mark is not literal. Remember, we are dealing with symbols, prophecy. The forehead represents the mind with which we serve God. Romans 7.25 And the hand is a symbol of work. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Those who accept Sunday observance willingly are marked in the forehead. They're choosing. Those who agree to work Sabbath to avoid persecution or death are marked in the hand. Do people who observe Sunday now have the mark of the beast? Let's have the Bible answer. Revelation thirteen seventeen, And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Not one person has the mark of the beast now. There will come a day when no one will be able to buy or sell unless you have the mark. It is at this time when men are forced to choose whether or not to work on the Sabbath, God's holy day, and observe on and observe Sunday instead as a holy day. That is when you will be marked either in the forehead or on the hand. Sabbath breaking is a very serious matter because it involves sin or transgression of God's holy law. 1 John 3.4 Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Those who knowingly profane God's holy day now will lose the ability to think and see clearly and will end up in darkness. So John 12.35 says, Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Friends, in these last days, God has commanded his angels to hold back the winds of strife from the earth until something happens to his people. What is that something? We have a merciful God, but at some point it must come to an end. You still have time to choose his ways. Revelation 7 verses 1 to 3. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Winds blowing represents strife, wars, wars, and commotion. God is holding back devastating destruction from the earth until His people have made their decision for or against Him and all that He stands for. It is not enough to just claim that we serve God. We must also obey Him. Who will receive God's wrath in the last days? Revelation fourteen nine and 10. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 
What is the wrath of God? Revelation 15.1 Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Friends, as commandment-keeping Christians, do we need to fear the impending seven last plagues? Not at all. Our Savior says, do not fear, and provides us with hundreds of promises to claim, such as Psalms 91, 10, and 11. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Amen? Those that have the seal of God are promised safety and will be shielded from all seven last plagues. Now, many of you have asked, is the United States mentioned in prophecy? Let's take a brief look at a much deeper study. Revelation 13, 11, 12. John saw another beast rise up out of the earth about the time the beast of verse 1 went into captivity in verse 10. And he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. There is only one nation that qualifies as the second beast. The power described has to become a mighty nation in order to exercise authority over all the nations of the world. It had to rise out of land, which is unoccupied territory. The power would have lamb-like qualities with lofty principles of freedom and equality, attributes of Christ, but would end up speaking like a dragon. The U.S. Constitution came into effect in 1789, just around the time of the end of that 1260-year prophecy. USA, The USA was independent exactly in the time frame God foretold. The Dublin Nation in 1850 spoke of the United States as a wonderful empire which was emerging and, quote, amid the silence of the earth daily adding to its power and pride, end quote. You see, he had two horns like a lamb. The lamb-like horns indicates youth, innocence, and gentleness, fitly representing the character of the United States when presented to the prophet as coming up in 1798. The beast with lamb-like horns speaking as a dragon points to a striking contradiction between what this nation professes versus what they practice. The prediction that it will speak as a dragon and exercise all power of the first beast plainly foretells a development of the spirit of intolerance and persecution coming. What two tragic things does the second beast cause people to do? Revelation 13, 12, and 16, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand, or in their forehead. America will lead out in forcing people to receive the mark of the beast. This magnificent country will soon repudiate religious freedom and force people into false worship. When the leading churches of the United States of America unite on common points of doctrine, they shall influence the state to enforce their decrees to sustain their institutions. Then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy and the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. How will the second beast convince people they should listen to him? Revelation 13.13 He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth 
in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. An image is a copy. It has the attributes of the original. The only entity that has all eight of these characteristics in all of history is the Roman Catholic system, which is the first beast of Revelation 13. Friends, go to history and check it out for yourself. This was a power that utilized state resources in order to enforce its doctrines, even when these doctrines were contrary to the word of God. The second beast will do the same. Prophecy tells us so. We are seeing signs of this taking place already in our day. The second beast will utilize boycott and death threats to force people into, into line. Revelation thirteen fifteen to 17. According to scriptures, the mark will be enforced by imposing economic sanctions on anyone unwilling to accept the mark. The image is a union of church and state with forced worship. The lamb-like beast will speak as a dragon. Remember, God does not force or your worship or obedience. In love, he always gives us the freedom of choice. What did the disciples say about whether we should obey God or man? Acts 5.29 But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. In Matthew 15.9 And in vain they worship me, Jesus says, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This warns us that there is no point in following man's teachings because it's senseless, ineffectual, futile, and foolish. What can I do to make certain I will not receive the mark of the beast? Revelation fourteen twelve. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. God's saints are his saved that live in heaven forever because they keep all ten of God's commandments, aligning us with his character, and they've fallen in love with Jesus and want to be just like him because Jesus kept the commandments. The question is that of loyalty to Jesus Christ or the Antichrist. The great controversy is all about who do you worship. The mark of the beast equals Sunday worship, man-made tradition. Revelation 13.4, and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. So they worship the dragon, obviously, unknowingly, because this dragon gives a power to the beast. It's a counterfeit system, and the world is beginning to think like this beast and to follow in its mindset. Whereas the mark of God is Sabbath worship, God's law of liberty. Revelation 22.14, blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. Each person has to make a decision either for or against God. Matthew 12:30 says, "He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad." Picture the multitude of humanity gathering together. Before them is a fence. On one side of the fence stands Jesus smiling. On the other side, Satan paces back and forth. Both Jesus and Satan began calling to the masses. One by one, each person decides for themselves who they choose as their master. Jesus, 
or Satan. The last man decides to not join either group. Instead, he climbs up onto the fence and straddles it, not willing to budge. So Jesus turns and disappears with his followers, and Satan leaves with his group. The man on the fence sits alone, smiling, thinking himself pretty clever. But suddenly, he sees a form coming towards him. He realizes it's Satan and shudders. The evil one demands, come on, let's get going. Baffled, the man replies, uh, no, 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 I did not choose you. I didn't choose anybody. Satan smirks. Oh, yeah, you did. You see, I own that fence. Friends, there's no doubt in my mind which side of the fence I want to be on. How about you? Jesus warns, whoever is not with me is against me. Friends, indecision is a decision. If you are not claiming Christ as your own, as your personal Savior, then who will save you? The Bible clearly says Jesus is the door, the gate to heaven, the only way in. John 14, 6 says, No one comes to the Father except through me. We must choose Jesus and take a stand for His truth. We have been looking at His words tonight. He is coming soon, friends. There is no more time to delay. Friend, are you sitting on the fence tonight? Do you sense Jesus calling you right now? Are you seeing from your Bible that the key issue surrounding end-time events is worship? I pray you understand the immense importance of the eight identifying characteristics that God gives us, showing us who the mark of the beast is in Revelation 13. Tonight, do you want to say, Jesus, I choose to lovingly obey you. Do you want to say, I do not want to worship the beast or receive his mark? Is it your desire to let Jesus know that you accept the true Bible Sabbath? Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you comfort anyone who is wrestling with your scripture right now. I pray that we each clearly see your identifying points in Bible prophecy of who the beast is and his mark. We know you are coming soon. Every one of us has to make our own personal decision whose side we're on. But with, be with each person, Lord, in a special way right now, and send your Holy Spirit to guide them in your word. I know there are those listening right now that join me in committing, like, jo like Joshua, that for me and my house, I serve and choose you. In Jesus' precious, powerful name, amen. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Join me tomorrow for a fascinating topic, The Harlot, on Unlocking Bible Prophecies. Choose God's way. Good night, friends.